Peter Santon and beyond. Get ready for the Santon Times Hour with your host, Alexander. It's the beginning of the week and it's the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 FM and as always available as a podcast on Apple, Google and Spotify. I'm Alexander Leibner and this is edition 81, week 35 of 2022. We're still in August, but August is almost done. I can smell September, I can smell spring and boy am I excited that temperatures are on the rise. If you want to get in touch, you can email editor at santontimes.co.za. You can connect on social media at santontimes. And you can visit the website, www.santontimes.co.za. And as always, send us your questions, your comments, and be part of this conversation. You are part of the Santon Times Hour Nation if you are listening. And uh, I'm so thrilled we've got such a distinguished audience. If you're listening to this show, let me tell you, different class different class thank you for making the time to listen wherever you are in the world uh, in south africa overseas internationally getting so many interesting correspondents coming through from all over the world and we're debating is it expats is it people who have been to south africa who are still uh, in touch with south africa what makes people tune in what makes people listen but um, we always hope it's good content great conversation and stuff that is relevant to you and as always, I'm happy to say that all is well in Santon land. And Vincenzo is back behind the desk. Uh, we're sounding a little different this week, but I think uh, we're always improving. Uh, did you change something on the system? Okay, so you've done something a little bit differently. And, and there's more changes happening on, uh, on the show, on the station, on the podcast. It's uh, exciting. Exciting, exciting, exciting times. And I think more will be revealed as the weeks unfold. As always, the WhatsApp line is also live, so feel free to use that. It's always good to hear from you. And uh, as I always do, let's have a quick look at what happened this week. Well, how funny is that? Last week, we interviewed Edith Fenter, and without knowing, I bumped into her at uh, Product of the Year uh, at the next day. She said, oh, wow, like someone had messaged her. They heard the interview on the Santon Times Hour, and that's always exciting to hear when guests get good feedback and they, they have other people they know that happen to tune in or happen to catch it or are regular listeners. So that's really fantastic and product of the year, celebrating interesting and innovative products. And let me tell you, Samsung and Sunlight <laughs> absolutely cleaned up at this event. <laughs> I think they pretty much won every category except, I mean, one or two that they probably couldn't have entered. But maybe, I don't know, maybe they should collaborate. Uh, I don't know what Sunlight and Samsung could do together, but that might be an opportunity to come up with something clever. Then also spent a really interesting time with the team from Dubai Tourism. They were visiting South Africa for the first time. And if you want some perspective and some vision on, on the world and running a city or a country or a state, I mean, Dubai is just on another level. The incredible things that they are launching and continue to launch and continue to do, everything else aside, is just, is just mind-blowing. It is incredible to see just a place operate the way it does. So I think there's still a lot more coming following that conversation, but it's always just great to meet people from around the world, but also to see how many people are absolutely blown away by South Africa when they come for the first time. There's a perception that they have when they first arrive where they think, oh, it's like this or it's like that. And they've heard things and they've read things and people have warned them or people have told them to do this or to do that. And they finally arrive and it's just so amazing to sometimes see the country through the eyes of someone who's got a fresh perspective, a fresh look, and it's very optimistic. I think it's very optimistic 
I always just feel we should be doing more. We should be doing it faster. And once again, I'll be ringing that tourism bell loud and proud. Coming up on this week's episode, if you've ever thought of getting into property, there's a new book out on the shelves that should help you get started. More on that shortly. Then I've got some travel notes to share with you this week from one of the biggest festivals in the world. And it's an experience you have to put on your bucket list. Next, he created a shoe cleaning service that even saw him cleaning some of Black Coffee's sneakers. He'll tell you all about it a bit later. And finally, after a dramatic life experience, she decided to turn a nightmare into a force for good and you'll get to hear the whole story. All this and more coming up. We're going to get to our headlines for this week shortly. But as always, let's get this hour rolling with some music. Follow the Santon Times on social media. This is the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 FM with Wake Me Up by Avicii. Getting the hour off on an upbeat start and uh, his birthday's coming up. Hey, Vincenzo, yeah. 8th of September, I think it is. He would have been 33 years old. Hey, gone too soon. What an absolute talent. Avicii, all the way from Sweden. Quick look at the time and it's time for some headlines for this week. Well, Call of Duty, MMC for Community Safety in Johannesburg, David Tembe, says all Metro Police officers will have to report for point duty during peak hour load shedding. Really? Wow, that took, what, 15 years <laughs> to make that kind of announcement? Tembe says this should happen between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. and between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. on days when ESCOM implements power cuts. No speed trap, no bylaw enforcement, except if they respond to a special incident. They have to do the point duty. Well, that should have been pretty obvious years ago, surely. I think they're just feeling the competition now from all these homeless people that have literally taken over traffic lights all over Johannesburg. And I think in some instances, they're actually doing a pretty good job. <laughs> I mean, untrained, they figured it out. They've even added new sort of uh, technique to it. And now I think the JMPD is feeling a little bit intimidated by this up-and-coming new competition. Well, like they say, nothing wrong with competition, right? Raises the stakes for everybody. Then, sure, this is a bit of a sad story as well. Drowned workers. Netcare 911 reported two workers were connecting a large submerged water valve in Bryanston when they got into difficulties and drowned. Reports indicate that two male workers had fallen into a deep pit situated next to a river an unseen supervisor who witnessed the incident jumped into the water to help rescue the workers and got into difficulties himself. I believe he made it out, but the search for the two men, both in their 40s, was conducted by divers who managed to locate the body sometime later at approximately 7 to 10 meters depth. Hey, I mean, there you are, going to work, you know, another day at the office, doing some routine work, and then a freak accident like this. And, uh, yeah, terrible. Then electric charging stations are rolling out all over the place. I don't know if you've caught on to this electric car business yet, electric vehicles. Have you thought about changing your car from petrol to electric, given the, the state of the petrol price? I mean, I know it's supposed to be coming down again, and then it might go up again and down again. So I don't know if you've just given up on petrol altogether. But here we are. Audi South Africa, in partnership with Grid Cars, they finalized the installation of 33 electric vehicle charging stations across the country, including Santon. And it says immediately available to all South African electric vehicle drivers. So this is not just about if you have to, if you own an Audi or don't own an Audi, it doesn't make a difference. Any electric vehicle. You can now connect your car at these charging stations. 
and uh, it takes about one hour to charge your car. I don't know. Not bad, I suppose. It'll probably get faster and faster as we go along. I see there was a university in the United States who actually managed to develop some technology where they brought it down to five minutes, but I don't think that's uh, commercially available yet. These charging stations are located at lifestyle and destination venues in Greater Santon, so they've listed them here. Johannesburg Country Club, Bryanston Country Club, Kyle Army Corner, and the Virgin Active in Bryanston. So if you've got an electric vehicle, if you're thinking about an electric vehicle, it's coming. More and more charging stations are popping up, and before you know it, it's a whole new world. That's it for your headlines this week. Next, I'll be taking a look at property investment for women, bricks for chicks, right after the break. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour. Follow the Santon Times on social media. At Santon Times. Right, as we kick off uh, this show this week, uh, there's a new book on the shelves uh, which looks to inspire women to succeed in property investment and start their own property portfolio. And it's written by Tanya Haffen. Tanya has been investing in property in South Africa since 2003 and in the UK since uh, 2015. Uh, Tanya trained with Robert Kiyosaki's brand Rich Dad Education and traveled extensively across South Africa teaching property investing to large crowds over two-day seminars. She's also a mom of two daughters and has authored a new book which is called Bricks for Chicks. Tanya joins me right now. And uh, Tanya, it's great to have you on the Santon Times Hour. And uh, let's just get this out of the way up front. Uh, is it easier being a mom of two or investing in property? <laughs> Hands down, investing in property, Alex. <laughs> All right. So get a property before you have uh, before you have lots of kids. Absolutely. <laughs> It'll get you well prepared for the challenges that lie ahead. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit more about this book. How did this book come about? I had been, as you mentioned, I had been traveling around the country training for Robert Kiyosaki and chatting to a whole lot of people. And I found that while you impart a whole lot of knowledge over two days, people always wanted more. They wanted some guidance. They wanted something to refer back to, something to keep them focused on the dream. And so I started blogging about property on a weekly basis. And in time, after a couple of years, I looked at all of those blogs and I thought, wait a minute, this could be put together as a book. And this could really get out there and just help people and inspire people into investing in property and chasing their own property investing dreams. So it really came about as a result of taking all of those blogs, tweaking them, categorizing them. And there you go, a book. Amazing. So now it's all uh, in one place to read through. I mean, the, the property as an investment drum has been beaten for, for absolute decades. And I mean, you're talking about Robert Kiyosaki. I've also had the chance to meet him on, on one or two occasions for an interview. And I mean, it has much changed over the years in terms of how attractive property is. I think so. It's gone through the cycles. Of course, we've seen multiple market crashes as we've gone along. If property is suddenly at a peak and everybody's involved in it and then property crashes and everybody runs. I think for me, it's a little bit like shares. If you're in it for the long haul, you're going to be making money out of it. And the other key part about property is you have to understand what you're doing. And I believe that is true for any investment class that you try and get yourself into. If you understand exactly how to run the numbers, how to look for the right property and how to invest correctly, property certainly can be one of the pillars in your wealth creation vehicle. Of course, if you go out there and invest in any old property, then you can be badly burnt. And I think property has had a bad rap over the years from amateur investors jumping out into the market and grabbing any old property, holding it, having issues with tenants, issues with cash flow. And as a result, in general, if you mention that you're a property investor, people are inclined to say, oh, that's so dangerous. What are you thinking? But as with anything, if you have the right skills, the more you know, the more you grow. And you can get into property and make sure that you can get a nice little slash fund to help 
you out. So where are the trends at at the moment? I mean, like you were saying, there's so many different ways that you can uh, get into this property space. I mean, some people decide to buy and uh, rent it out and have to deal with tenants. Other people decide to buy a dilapidated place. Uh, what do they call it? Uh, flip it. They, they kind of uh, redecorate it and then sell it a couple of months later for a profit. Other people buy, demolish and build uh, something completely different. Uh, where are we at at the moment uh, in South Africa when it comes to the sort of property trends? All three of those strategies are very much in play, along with a couple of other various, very creative strategies, rent to buy, all kinds of different things. But what I think you need to always go back to is don't worry about what the trends are doing. Worry about your personal situation. How much cash flow do you have available? What areas do you live in? What areas do you want to invest in? And are you looking to receive a passive income every month or are you looking to receive large lump sums? Perhaps you're looking to chase both of those. And then once you get very clear on your strategy, then you go out there and start looking for properties rather than going out there and just chasing whatever the trends are. Because those trends, depending on where you're at and depending on your income level or your wealth level, they're always going to be in play all around because people need places to live. So there's always going to be places that need to be rented out. There's definitely always going to be dilapidated properties, distressed properties that need fixing up. And then, of course, there's going to be people, developers out there who are doing the bigger developments. So this book's uh, unmissably called Bricks for Chicks, Not Buildings for Boys. Uh, why did you decide uh, to write a property book for women specifically? Do they, do they buy property differently to men? Absolutely. Got to whip out that pink purse. <laughs> no, not at all. I think the rules remain the same. Part of it was a really a tongue in cheek playing with the rhyming and being a woman myself, being a mom of two daughters and being passionate about empowering women to take care of their financial future. I think that traditionally women have had a bad rap when it comes to finances uh, perhaps been very dependent on a partner, perhaps been very dependent on a job. And what about if there was a book that was aimed at them that was a lot of fun, lighthearted, and just started the conversation? So having the title out there, it's very much a conversation starter. A lot of men have come to me and said, well, why can't I read your book? Why is it all for women? And then there's women who say, great, it's girl power. Let's get out there and start um claiming back our space and make sure that it's all about us. So really, it was just a fun game to play with the title and the strategies and the words, or at least the, the strategies that I describe in my book can absolutely be followed by men and women. And do a lot of these strategies also apply across different uh, property types? Because you get commercial property, sort of, you know, your strip malls or your sort of larger industrial buildings. But then also you get the things that I think most people will know, which is uh, residential accommodation, be it an apartment or a flat or a, um, you know, a house, a freestanding house. Uh, does that, do the strategies pretty much stay the same? No, they don't. And my book is very much aimed at somebody who's getting into the property market, somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience in the market and who wants to understand how it all works and to make sure that they have a solid foundation upon which to build their financial dreams. If you start talking about getting into commercial property, that requires a whole different skill set. And I don't touch on that in this book. Okay, well, that's that's good to know. So if there was anyone looking at buying a 6,000 square meter warehouse somewhere, uh, that you know, you have to wait for the next <laughs> the next edition of this book. Um, thing, things like Absolutely. things like Airbnb have obviously dramatically changed the way people buy and rent out apartments, flats. I mean, all kinds of exotic things, tree houses, yachts. How, how have you seen that play out in the market? I mean, obviously, COVID's been an interesting exercise because a lot of people have also burnt their fingers during this period. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think Airbnb is a fantastic strategy. 
what you need to do is just make sure again that you're always running the numbers to see what's going to be happening. We saw COVID all of the places that if you'd set yourself up for a whole lot of Airbnbs and then suddenly there's zero travel or people are traveling and they're very scared. Now your cost of sterilizing the place and making sure that it's right for the next tenant or the next person, short-term tenant, is those costs are now going to go through the roof. So I think people, the idea with, with property, if you're going to be in a market like that, Airbnb, is to be flexible and to be able to roll with it. Is it going to make more sense to have a longer-term tenant in there? Or are you going to be making a lot of money if you rent it out over the weekends or during the, during the week, perhaps? And I think that strategy will play out depending on where your property is located. If you're in a hive of holiday type accommodation by all means, or perhaps if you're closer to a CBD, we're seeing a lot of trends now where people are being called back into the offices and perhaps they've semi-grated down to the coast. Now they need to come back to the offices. And if your property is near those offices, then you could certainly make a fortune out of doing Airbnb. It's about watching the market and about being ready to switch strategies if it's, if COVID hits, if something dramatic hits like that again. Well, but before we wrap up, I want to I want to quickly see if you can entice us with one or two tips from your book. I don't want you to give away all the secrets, but uh, what are some of the ones that stand out for you in terms of maybe some things to get people sort of thinking about this and and picking up the book and actually going through the whole book? That what I try to achieve in the book is to take people on a journey of you want to get into property investing. Let's first stop and have a look at why you want to get into property investing, because a lot of people say to me, oh, Tanya, I just want to be rich. And when I say why, then the response is, well, that's a crazy question so that I can buy a flash car or re wear really cool clothes. But I want you to dig a bit deeper. What is it that you hope to achieve with that wealth? Who are you going to help? Is it going to be your family? Is it going to be your community around you? There's got to be something bigger than just money. And then once you've got that strategy in place, then we can go and take that further into the property market and say, right, what type of strategy will we need to produce in order to get you closer to those goals? And then I take you on a roller coaster ride of all of the different strategies, all of the different how to run the numbers, and then give a whole lot of fun examples using names, some of it taken from my personal experiences, some of from stories that I've heard, and try to do it in a storytelling kind of fashion so that you are entertained and educated at the same time. Because I believe if you're laughing while you're learning, that's going to stick. Well, I hope you're going to be laughing all the way to the bank uh, once you've read this book and you've invested in your first property. Tanya Haffin, she's the author of Bricks for Chicks, and the book is available at uh, all leading bookstores uh, for 200 rand a copy. And if you can't afford the 200 rand, you might need to invest in property more than you think. Uh, <laughs> we're halfway into the Santon Times Hour. So much more coming up, and I'll be back with you right after this. The Santon Times Hour continues. David Lubega Balemetsi, better known as Lubega, with Mumbo Number no. 5 on the Santon Times Hour on Mix 93.8 FM. Vincenzo, I know exactly why you pulled that one off the shelf, but let's get into that shortly. This is the second half of the Santon Times Hour. I'm Alexander Leipner, if you've just tuned in. And as always, if there's anything that caught your attention during the show, but you didn't manage to get all the details in time, don't stress. Just visit the show notes on the santantimes.co.today. So www.santantimes.co.today. There's a detailed breakdown of everything discussed on the show, phone numbers, email addresses, websites, names, you name it, it's all there. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast for free on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to like, review, and rate that for me too. Let me tell you, it makes a huge difference. It pushes it up the charts. It moves it into the right spaces. The right people get to hear it. Let's just grow this community. Let's grow our listener base. 
And uh, yeah, if you really enjoy the show, why not share it with somebody that you love? And if you don't enjoy the show, share it with people you hate and make their life even more miserable. Let's interact online as well. And you can do that by following the social media accounts of at uh, Santon Times. And feel free to comment and connect on the Mix 93.8 FM WhatsApp line. And you can also use the hashtag, hashtag Santon Times Hour. I'll get to as many of your messages as is possible. Now back to Mumbo number five and Lou Bega who in fact is a German singer born in Munich, Bavaria. His mother was Sicilian, his father was Ugandan, and he came up with this amazing track. It was a massive global hit, 1999, let me take you back. And uh, it's a kind of frivolous and fun song that became huge around the world. I mean, you can go read up on the song, it's fascinating to hear how the song spread, how well it did. And it ties back into my travel notes for this week. And I want to chat to you about the Oktoberfest in Munich. You've probably heard about it. You might have thought about it. I had the privilege of attending the Oktoberfest. I think it must have been about 2018, 2017, if I cast my mind back. You know, there's that sort of like gray area, which was called the pandemic, which completely moved our calendar up and down. But the Oktoberfest is back in 2022. Let's put it like that. It'll be the 187th festival, and it'll be running from the 17th of the 9th to the 3rd of the 10th, 2022. Now, I can hear you saying, but but that's September. It starts on the 17th of September and runs till October. It's called the Oktoberfest. Yes, that's how it works. It always starts in September and ends in the beginning of October. But it's called the Oktoberfest. And to give you a little bit of a crash course in history here, King Ludwig I, who was the king at the time, he married Princess Theresa of Saxe-Hildburghausen on the 12th of October, 1810. And the citizens of Munich were invited to attend the festivities, which were held at the, the fields in front of the city gates to celebrate the royal event. And the fields were then named the Theresienwiese in honor of the crown princess and have kept that name ever since. So that's where the Oktoberfest has been held and is still held to this day. The city of Munich organizes this Oktoberfest. So Ludwig and uh, Theresa, they're, they're no longer in the picture. So the city of Munich's now taken over that role. And uh, since 1950, the festival has always been opened with the same traditional procedure. And that's what you'll see in, uh, well, in the middle of September. Uh, so at noon, there's a 12-gun salute. And that is followed by tapping of the first beer keg of the Oktoberfest beer by the mayor of Munich with the proclamation... Ortsapft is, and uh, to, to translate that, it means it's tapped. Uh, simple as that. In uh, the Bavarian dialect, and then the mayor gives the first liter of beer to the minister president of the state of Bavaria. Now, some interesting stats around this festival. It uh, runs for 16 days, traditionally, and in 2014, it sold 7.7 million liters of beer. I think that was the record at the time. I think... Uh, it might be interesting to see what they sold this year, but 7.7 million liters of beer. Uh, and it's only beer conforming to the Reinheitsgebot, which you've probably heard about before. And uh, it's brewed within the city limits of Munich. So uh, only those beers can be served at the Munich Oktoberfest. Experienced waiters need an average of only one and a half seconds to fill a mass. Now, a mass is those, those massive beer jugs that you see on television or you've seen online. It's one liter of beer, of this uh, Munich Oktoberfest beer, and it costs about 200 rand. Now you might say, wow, that's, uh, <laughs> that's an expensive drink. Listen, it's an experience. And I'll tell you, tell you all about that experience shortly. Then there are currently 14 large tents and 20 small tents at the Oktoberfest. So you must just imagine this place is 
huge. It is a massive piece of land. They've got these massive tents. And when I say tents, I mean they're literally like they're like semi-permanent structures made out of wood. It fits a few hundred people into each of these tents, and it is an experience like you you've, you you can't imagine. The economic value of the Oktoberfest is about 1.2 billion euros, and approximately 6.3 million festival visitors attend over those 16 days. Just put that into perspective. 6.3 million people <laughs> visit this festival. And 70% of the Oktoberfest visitors actually come from Bavaria. 9% of the Oktoberfest guests come from the rest of Germany. And then the remaining 21% of the festival guests come from overseas. So it's not a huge amount. But let me tell you, make a point of going to visit the Oktoberfest. If you want a cultural experience, if you want to experience something that is just a hell of a lot of fun, it's such an absolute jewel. You get yourself dressed up. There's some fantastic stores in and around Munich, all price points. But invest in a Lederhosen, invest in a Diendl, you know, one of those sort of like Bavarian dresses and make a feast of it. Because I'm telling you right now, if you've been to the first day, you will come back for a second and a third and a fourth day because it is just such an energy, such a vibe. They've got traditional music. There's obviously your ice bind, there's your schnitzel, your chicken, your uh, your mass, your beer. And even if you're not a beer drinker, you'll probably find that you'll be starting to drink beer depending on your budget at the Oktoberfest. Talking about the dress and the tr traditional dress. Now, if you didn't know this, the Diendl, which is the traditional ladies wear, it looks like a, like a dress with an apron and, uh, and a blouse. The position of the bow on the dress also signifies certain things. So if you have the bow on the right, it means that that person is married or spoken for. If you wear it on the left, the person is single. And if the bow is in the back, well, they're either widowed, they're waitressing, or they're underage. And uh, if you are fascinated by the Oktoberfest, if you've ever thought you wanted to get a little bit more information, there's also an interesting Netflix series called Oktoberfest Beer and Blood. And it's a little bit like, imagine like Peaky Blinders in Lederhosen. But uh, it gives you an interesting story of how the Oktoberfest evolved. I mean, you know, there's a bit of fact and fiction there, but I think for the most of it, it it's, it's a pretty fascinating, even though gory uh, history. But what an incredible festival to go to. I was totally blown away when I went the first time and uh, I'd, it, I had expect, no expectations. But it's a fairground. It's a chance to try different foods. It's great music, a great energy, a great vibe. And it's something you will never forget. And I actually know somebody down in Cape Town who makes a point of going every single year with a group of friends. He books up that week. They fly to Munich. They spend the week there for the Oktoberfest. And it's been an annual tradition and maybe you should go check it out as well. Follow the Santin Times on social media. At Santin Times. All right, we love chatting to entrepreneurs and uh, business owners and people who are making things happen in South Africa. And there's one particular business that I mention in uh, my regular talks that I do on, on the future and uh, marketing trends. And it's a homegrown South African example called the Sneaker Shack. And uh, to talk about it and uh, tell us a little bit more about this business is uh, the founder, Lolo Ndlovu. And Lolo, it's so great to have you on the Santon Times Hour. Yeah, very nice to be here with you. Lolo, talk us through the Sneaker Shack. So for people who've never used your business or your service, uh, what is the Sneaker Shack all about? Sneaker Shack is um, a sneaker laundry service. I mean, it's, that's the kind of core business. And, and what that means basically is you kind of, we've created a space where people uh, bring their sneakers in for a clean, try to avoid things like, you know, the washing machine and also just having it be slightly a bit more convenient than you sitting, you know, in a, um, 
over a basin on a Sunday afternoon trying to get your sneakers cleaned. Uh, you know, and we know how how important the 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 sneaker space is now becoming. You know, shoes are becoming more and more expensive, uh, and people just generally don't have the time. So we we kind of created Sneaker Shack for uh, for that exact need. Well, it's an interesting conversation when we talk about sneakers. In South Africa, we probably refer to them as tackies or uh, sports yeah. shoes or gym shoes. Uh, such a wild niche to go into. I mean, of all the things, you know, you think maybe there's a the handbag polishing service or a, a hat dusting service, but a sneaker cleaning business. Uh, uh, why sneakers and why do they need to be cleaned professionally? Yeah, it's such an interesting question, and you know, I think when we stumbled on the on um, stumbled on this exact question, it was a huge aha moment, right? So, and the way I like to think about it is, um, if you consider the kind of generation before us, right? If you take let's say let's take hair care for example, you know, my parents used to go to the the, the shopping center down the road, get the pair of clippers, come home, and then cut our hair at home. And you know, when I think about it, I've never, I've never went to Clicks or, or Edgars and and you know gotten a pair of clippers come home and cut my hair. You know, it's it's if you think if you consider the generational shift when it comes to professionalism, looking for a good professional haircut versus that sort of um, the time spent, you know, uh, doing your haircut. That's the same kind of shift we're seeing with shoes because people are looking for a, a more convenient aspect, you know, a, a more convenient. A place to get these sneakers clean, but also looking for a more professional way of getting that done. And and you know, it's 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 almost like a behavioral change that we've just started to see with the consumer. There's probably another factor that we probably also have to throw into the mix here is the fact that sneakers have become a very collectible and sought after item. And I was chatting to uh, the CEO of uh, a big commodities business. You know, somebody who's in the more traditional space where people sort of buy gold and silver and they stick it underneath their oven or into their deep freezer and they keep that as a sort of an investment plan. And he was saying that, you know, it's quite wild how many young people are moving away from sort of the traditional investment options and are moving into investable items like sneakers. Uh, Can you give us a bit of a perspective on, on these sneakers and how much they cost bottom end to top end in terms of the ones you've cleaned? Bang on, and you know, and and I think one of the you know, another kind of day to day lens of 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 use of 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 actually looking at this trend here is just realizing how young people don't actually go to work wearing suits and double breasted you know blazers. You know, it's it's usually like a, a a top, a hoodie, jeans, and the most expensive thing they'd be wearing is a pair of sneakers. You know, if not a watch. You know, and and you know, young people don't even wear watches anymore. You're quite right in saying you know these are now becoming investables. I mean, if you're looking at it from if you look at you know f- from an entry level perspective, you know these are shoes that start from about a thousand and a half to two thousand rand. You know, like really kind of entry. And if you want to talk real collectible items, you know they can range all the way from you know you know forty to a hundred thousand rand a pair. And and some of the stingers that we see, we've been lucky to clean um, a couple of black coffee pairs. Um, and we know that black coffee is you know it's a huge sneakerhead. And I remember the one time he actually brought in a pay, um, brought in about six or seven pairs to our um, to one of our branches in Rosebank. So he puts them on the counter, and we're looking at these shoes now because we I've got my office in Rosebank. So we're all looking at these shoes and we're saying because because we're thinking, oh my god, guys, we need to have a bit of a meeting on how these things get clean because we, we're talking about three hundred fifty grand like on the table just worth of shoes. So so people are seeing these as like investables and you know people want to take care of their investments and and we're happy to do that. 
Now, I mean, you're talking about some of those numbers in terms of what these sneakers are worth. Uh, I mean, do you have sort of special insurance on the shops or on the people who are cleaning these shoes? Because, I mean, the last thing you want is for someone to mess up 100,000 rands worth of sneakers. It, it gets very stressful. <laughs> it gets very stressful. But we do have insurance products that, are, that, that do help in, in kind of mitigating some of that risk um, from a store perspective, from a per store perspective. So, I mean, that's all accounted for in our pricing and, and the rest of it. Well, let's talk about how you started with this, uh, Lolo. I, I, you know, let's rewind the clock a bit and, and take us through how this business started, how you got it funded. Uh, I'm assuming it's probably not one of those things where someone came and said, look, here's a, here's a few million rand and you went away and you set up a few stores and the rest is history. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, this is one of those that like people were saying, are you mad? Like, you know, is this even a, you know, is, is there, is, I, I hear you, you know, the people clean shoes, but like, I mean, is there a business here? Like, is it an actual business? So, so I, I, you know, I kind of spent my, 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 my first two years of the business to kind of prove that. But, you know, just to take a step back before then, um, you know, I just come back from university and I'd spent uh, uh, just over a year in, in the United States and coming back to South Africa, I knew that I wanted to, uh, to get into entrepreneurship and being in the states i did see a similar concept and uh, but this was for really 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 sort of cool kids like these were like the basketball super cool you know i felt very intimidated walking in there and there weren't really kind of a shoe laundry it was like this kind of hangout area like there was a bit of like a coffee shop element going on and then there was this guy who was this kind of you know cleaning all these like really cool shoes and then i thought you know like I'm from South Africa, you know, we kind of like our sneakers, probably not as much as these guys, but we, we like getting out, you know, we like hiking on the weekend. And, you know, I, I know a fair amount of people that spend, you know, quite a bit on their shoes, like this would be nice. And then part of my job was to take that and then just kind of open it up, you know, so like, it doesn't matter whether you're kind of a Bryanston mom or like the coolest kid in, in Santon. I mean, if you walk into one of our stores, you know, it just feels like a virgin active, like it just it feels very cool, very lively, but, but it's not intimidating. And I can tell you, like, I, the first couple of landlords, they said, nah, get out of here. There's no chance. Like, you guys aren't going to pay rent with this. Like, there's no way. So we were lucky enough um, to get the Hobart Center and Bryanston to take a chance with us. I remember the, at the time it was run by these two brothers. I think we just chatted about cycling the whole time. And then by the end of it, we just kind of signed a, a lease because we just kind of liked each other. And, you know, they took a big chance with me. Um, and then Sassel Pension Fund then went and took a chance with me with the store in Rosebank. Um, and, you know, these guys have backed me ever since. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to prove not only just kind of top level, but like, you know, we are growing like, like crazy. We've got landlords waiting for us to kind of open in their shopping centers. So we've actually proved that, hey, listen, our young people today are super, super excited about sneakers and they want a real trusted, credible brand um, that can be this kind of caretaking. They can be the, the sorbet of shoes, if you want to call it. You know what I mean? Like this place that you know and trust and, you know, you'll definitely get the result out. And that's what we've been able to uh, create. Well, I'm hoping you're telling those landlords that told you to get out of here to get out of here right now if they ask you to open the <laughs> store there. As we, as we wrap up, uh, what does the landscape look like for the, for the business now? Uh, how many centers are you in? Where can people find you? And, and what are your expansion plans? So, yeah, so, so at the moment, we've got nine, nine stores. We, we, we're in nine centers, both uh, Johannesburg and Cape Town. Uh, we, we were lucky to just have opened the ninth store at, at the Harvest Place uh, center that's just off Kempton Park. It's a new center, brilliant center. So congratulations to those landlords. And it, I think growth plans are, are just grow, you know, uh, grow, grow, grow. Like we're looking to, to, 
to switch on an additional two stores by the end of the year. And by 2025, we're looking at about 45 stores. And, you know, we've, we've started the franchising process. We've got about 300 odd plus franchise requests sitting in our inbox at the moment. So it's just about, you know, scaling, building for growth and just kind of doubling down on, on, on our product offering. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Luland Lovu, a young entrepreneur in South Africa, founder of the Sneaker Shack, found a fantastic niche, and it's so good to see that that is growing. A quick look at the time, and uh, let's slide in one more track before the hour is out. Online. On air. Anywhere. Anytime. This is the Santon Times Hour. Well, almost wrapping up another show for another week. And uh, as we wrap things up, uh, well, that was Never Be Alone with David Guetta and Morton here on the Santon Times on Mix 93.8 FM and as always available on podcast. As we wrap things up and we come into the, the last minutes of uh, this show, I thought, well, it is Women's Month. We're talking all things women. And uh, I came across this really interesting walk that's taking place. It's called the Full Circle Walk. And to talk us through this uh, is Leilani Kutter. She's the founder of Yellow for Survivors. And Leilani, tell us a little bit more about this walk that you've got planned on the 17th of September. Thank you very much for the opportunity. So yeah, so we are planning to walk 30 kilometers on the 17th of September. We will be starting at 5.30 at, at the Bidon Bistro in Mildestrup. And the walk is starting for free. People can please come and join us. If they feel they cannot walk um, so far, they're more than welcome to only walk five or 10 kilometers. The reason for this walk is because, unfortunately, I was very brutally raped and left for dead on the 16th of September 1992, which is 30 years ago. And that is why I'm calling it Full Circle, Alex, because I really believe I'm at a full circle stage in my life. And what a lovely way to end it with a 30-kilometer walk because it happened 30 years ago. Well, let's take a step back on that because there's quite a bit to digest there that you've just taken us through. You founded this organization called Yellow for Survivors, and it is linked to this rape that took place 30 years ago. Why is it called Yellow for Survivors? So the reason why I'm calling it Yellow for Survivors is because the guy who did it to me, which I didn't know, he, he had a yellow T-shirt on, and I never really realized it. But I've been doing a lot of walking since 2019. Now, that gives me a lot of time to think, obviously. And so that's why I decided to call it Yellow for Survivors, because 10 years after the ordeal, I actually had a look at my docket and I only then realized the T-shirt was yellow. So for me, that was just, I decided to take that trigger point and make it something absolutely beautiful and make it my color and make it a happy color and a happy memory. So you've decided to turn what has been probably a traumatic ordeal for most people who've had to go through this. You've turned this particular color into something that is uh, something that gives hope, something that gives positivity and something that could help the next person avoid being in a situation like this. And you've done a tremendous amount of work and a tremendous amount of activities around uh, or under the banner of Yellow for Survivors. Now, you've mentioned you're doing a 30-kilometer walk. I mean, that is one tremendous walk. I mean, I've done 24 kilometers and felt like a war veteran the next day because <laughs> your, your, your legs, you need uh, Epsom salt baths. But uh -huh. you, people don't need to do the full 30 kilometers, you say. No, so people don't have to walk the whole uh, um, about 30 kilometers. If they also want, if the walk is not for them, we at Yellow for Survivors offers free self-defense classes. So in that time, between 5.30 and say 1 o'clock, we're going to offer self-defense sessions. Okay, So people can come and join us. We say people can give like a 50-round donation if they want to. It will start at 10 o'clock from the Bidon Bistro in, um, in Cradlestone. And the idea is really just to encourage people to actually 
learn more about self-defense because, Alex, I feel very passionate about self-defense because I was only 18 when it happened to me and I'm quite a small person and I really, in my heart, believe I would have maybe had a better chance to get out of the room if I had the skills. So that's really the motivation behind it is to say that if you've got the self-defense skills, things might have turned out differently. Yes, listen, the last thing we ever want to do, we don't tell people we're making a Lara Croft or something like that now. We're not making a superwoman. All we are trying to do is like any skills in life. We want to help you to give you these skills. So if you may be in a situation that it can help you to get out of the situation so you can call for help. Is there a particular dress code for uh, this event? Are you encouraging everybody to wear yellow? Yes, please. People must please come with a yellow cap or a yellow T-shirt or yellow socks or whatever they want to wear. We normally get a lot of media attention as well. And, you know, so the coverage. And the, and the reason why I'm excited about that is because the more awareness we can create, the more people we can help. Well, I mean, you say it's been 30 years. And uh, for many people, they might say, look, 30 years is a, an unbelievable amount of time for something to have happened. But just the other day, we've had this horrendous incident that has happened in Krugersdorp related to some of the illegal mining activities. Do stories like this trigger you at that point? Does it take you back to a dark place uh, when, when you hear these stories and that not much has changed in 30 years? It's a very good question. Um, it doesn't trigger me. It makes me angry. Because the, in the country, you know, South Africa, we don't do enough about it. And I always, always say this. Unfortunately, I think they will only start to listen when it happens close to home. And trust me, I don't wish this upon my worst enemy, okay? But when are they going to start listening to us? There are so much things that can be done. Because firstly, people don't, and what makes me sad about cases like that, people don't report it because nothing gets done to it. Nothing. You must remember, I was only 18 in 1992. The policeman that year already said, oh, well, in Afrikaans, this is the sixth one this week. There's a very nonchalant mannerism about this very important thing in this country. This is a pandemic in South Africa. Yeah. Well, look, on a positive note, let us uh, make the best of this walk on the 17th of September. As we said, it's 30 kilometers. It's in Mulder's Drift. All the details will be up on the santantimes.ca.za. If you didn't manage to jot that down, you can always visit the website and get more details. And uh, Lalani Kutter, founder of Yellow for Survivors, I wish you all the best in putting this together and, uh, and marking 30 years uh, since uh, this incident happened. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this interview. And please come and join us. It's going to be an awesome day. Well, Lani, I'm going to go through my wardrobe and see if I can find something yellow to wear as well. Well, that's it for another Santa Times Hour on Mix 93.8 FM and is always available as a podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. If you want to get in touch, you can email editor at santantimes.co.za or connect with us on social media at Times and visit the website www.santantimes.co.za and feel free to send through your questions, suggestions, and comments It's always good to hear from you and to get your input and feedback. Thank you to all our guests for this week and a big thank you to you, Vincenzo. Great stuff as always. And uh, thank you to the Saturn Times team as well as everyone at Mix 93.8 FM. And uh, thank you for listening. And let's connect again next week. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to the Santon Times Hour. And if you enjoyed it, be sure to share it. 